the Tom Sumner Program. Old Fashioned Radio for a New Generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. It's time now for Armchair Politics. Join host Tom Sumner for this weekly reality check on current events in local, state, and national politics and the real issues that really matter. You, too, can be part of Armchair Politics. Find us on Facebook. We let the dogs off their leash. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Hey, good morning and welcome to this week's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, good morning. Good morning. Good to be here. And on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Tom. And last but not least, uh, our third chair is uh, occupied this week by former high-ranking government official in two presidential <laughs> administrations from Mississippi. And my favorite, by the way, uh, presidential candidate from 2016, Mark Everson. Good morning, Mark. Welcome. Good morning, everybody. You got, you're very gracious, Tom. There were a lot of us. <laughs> Good morning, Mark. Mark. Good morning, guys. Well, you're an impressive guy, Mark, and it's uh, you know it's a, it's a real tribute to the show that you are willing to come on and spend time with us, and we appreciate you. Well, you know, the truth is, I always learn something when I'm on this show, and and uh, it's also good. We're all trapped in our spaces, and it's good to hear about what's going up on uh, in Michigan. Frankly, it uh, gives you context. I think that's important. If you're going to be a citizen of this great country. You ought to know a little bit about places where you're not currently living. Well, and we're definitely going to get into uh, all of that uh, coming up. We always start with uh, a few quotes, and the first one is is the finish the quote modeled after uh, Flint-based comedian Mark Bono's Facebook feature, Finish the Joke. Uh, we open Armchair Politics with Finish the Quote, where I ask you, how would you finish this quote? And the quote is... There are many men of principle in both parties in America, but there is what? Mm. Ah, differences in points of view. I was going to say, but few of them get elected. 
<laughs> that's that's actually pretty that's good. Pretty good. Um, the actual quote is: "There are many men of principle in both parties in America, but there is no party of principle." Oh, hmm. wow! Yeah, that's hey, pretty good. Who said who that's great. That was Alexis de Tocqueville. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't remember him <laughs> before my time. Yes. <laughs> well, I have to. America's. He was before uh, America's time. My, I know. It's, it's like true. we're not doing any better. Couple two hundred and fifty years later, we're not doing any better. Yes. Come on, guys. That's one of the things, Mark. That's fun about going back for some of these old quotes. We've had some that sound like they could have been made at the last. Uh, uh, national uh, party convention that come right. from Aristotle or Plato. I mean, sure. right. yeah, right. True, exactly. True. Well, here's one I think everybody's going to recognize who said this, um, but it was a quote that got my attention. The case against Donald Trump in these hearings is not made by witnesses who were his political enemies. It is instead a series of confessions by Donald Trump's own appointees, his own friends, his own campaign officials, people who worked for him for years in his own family. They have come forward and they have told the American people the truth. Vice President. No Representative Cheney. Yeah, that yeah. was my guess. Yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. The panel's vice chairwoman, uh, Representative Liz Cheney, a Wyoming Republican whose work on the committee could be her final act in Congress amid an uphill battle to win a primary against a Trump-backed challenger. Uh, she ended Thursday's primetime hearing by com uh, commending those who spoke up before the committee. The House Select Committee investigating the Capitol Hill insurrection concluded its series of eight hearings this week with a uh, presentation intended to be the final piece of its narrative puzzle that painted former President Donald Trump as responsible for the violent attack on the U.S. Capitol and more broadly American democracy on January 6, 2021. Are the select committee hearings diminishing Trump's hold on his followers and the GOP, and will that work at all in uh, Cheney's favor in Wyoming? No, you know, um, no, we have to think about that. Uh, there's a lot to consider here, but I don't think so. Oh, I, I think his hold is fading. Uh, I mean, a little bit. Yeah. I don't know if I told the story last time, but you know, my wife and I often go up to Frankenmuth, which is north of Flint here on on Dort Highway, and there were always two businesses that had Trump signs up for for, for even the last two two years or even beyond that, I think. And all of a sudden, we went up there a few weeks ago, and both of the signs were gone. Now, maybe uh, totally unrelated reasons. I don't know. But I just kind of wondered whether or not there even there are some Trump supporters who've kind of figured, you know, they've had it and are, are pulling back a little bit. On the other hand, I'm not sure it's going to affect Liz Cheney's face. The, the, the polls I've seen in, in, in Wyoming sound pretty dismal for her. Yeah. Um, so let me say two things in here. First on Cheney, uh, stranger things have happened. I mean, you go back to Joe Lieberman when Ned Lamont got the nomination and then Lieberman ran in the independent, and he won. I mean, uh, people, <laughs> you know, there, there's, uh, okay, it's true in the primaries, it's driven by the faithful, but uh, I think people in Wyoming value independence, and she certainly demonstrated independence, so I don't rule her out. Uh, 
Totally. The second thing, let me say this about the hearings, and I, I haven't watched all of them, but I, I did uh, hear and watch a fair amount of this last one. I am troubled by the way the hearings have been conducted because I think that the conduct of Trump is, is very clear. But I do not like going back and having all of the tapes, the outtakes of his trying to do the speech and everything else because all that does is it sends a chilling message over every occupant of every agency and the White House that you can't say or do anything without it being subject to congressional investigation. And I don't think here it, it matters one bit what happened in the 187 minutes between when he left the, uh, that area down below the White House and when, they, when he finally got on and said something. But I, I think what they've done is they've damaged, uh, unfortunately, the uh, relationships between the branches so that the president can't trust anybody now. Nobody can be trusted because you've got tapes and everything else and everything is subject to uh, congressional investigation. I, I'm troubled by that because facts are very clear without going into that level of granularity, I think. Yeah, it moves us into a reign of terror. It, it, it's truly... You hit the nail on the head. Nobody can be trusted. And we can't function. A democracy cannot function. Well, we that, can't that get climate. good people if they think they're going to be, you know, torn apart from the inside out. You can't have candid conversations. You can't, you know, they'd say, Everson suggested that we should say no, and then that's the headline. Or so, I mean, you know, uh, come on. It's just very, it's, very, it's hard enough to do these jobs. And I, again, I think you guys know me well enough. I'm not making any excuses for Trump's behavior. I'm talking about this system. Right. Uh, yes. Yeah, that's, that's true. There, there ought to be a room for it. For you, you're exactly right for you know uh, honest discussion where you can actually change your mind about certain kind of things and propose ideas you may not support or back off ideas you once supported in an honest kind of way. But there's something uh, in this country tape. that's... Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I'll go say, but if you can't do that, it's really hard to have an honest discussion. That's all. But there's something in this country that's driving incivility. And it's not just one person. It's probably all of us. But there's... Well, it's been true for, yeah, it goes way beyond Trump. I mean, this has been building in some ways for decades. I, I did a piece for East Village Magazine a while, and, and the last time we had the majority of people saying that they trust the government to do the right thing most of the time was back in the Watergate days. And ever since that time, that percentage who agreed with that statement has declined. You know, it's bounced up and down periodically, but it's been below 50% ever since about 1972, 73. Mm -hmm. And tied to that exactly is, the, uh, there was a column in the Post today talking about the similar erosion in the trust in the media. And uh, yeah, gone from yeah. like, 70, you know, three-quarters of the people believe the media to, like, 15% or 16%. And that's the, the point of this column was that it's saying it's easy to believe what you want to hear if you don't trust the people <laughs> who are supposedly telling you what's really going on. But see, you know, where the media has made its big mistake over the last decade or two is by putting the reporters in the spotlight. It used to be, for example, you'd see a reporter standing out front of the White House telling you what someone inside the White House had told them. Now they're standing out front of the White House giving you 
the information that they have to share. And they mm-hmm. are now the so-called experts instead of people that are just offering a microphone to the experts. And I think, an it, has, point, yeah. I think it has cheapened and diminished reporting dramatically. Well, the only thing you remember uh, becomes celebrities trust, themselves, more so than the people they're reporting on. Yeah, go, go well, ahead, that's right. Mark. Remember, remember Sam Donaldson. I mean, people thought he was outrageous because he would interrupt uh, a president or, uh, you know, a cabinet member or something. And it's now gotten, it's just not gotten, it's not the same civil discourse. You know, Sam Donaldson, <laughs> speaking of quotes, and, and we have another one, we probably won't get to it till after the break, but Sam Donaldson, um, <laughs> one of my favorite quotes of all time came from Sam Donaldson on a morning roundtable, you know, a group of people like, like what we're doing, sitting around talking about the events of the day, and one of the events was the release of Oliver Stone's movie JFK. And Sam Donaldson said, one of the problems that, or the the biggest problem I have with uh, uh, Oliver Stone's film is that it presupposes two things that I can't agree with. One is that the government is inherently evil, and the other is that they're extremely competent. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Good quote. What a paradox. There is truth to that, and I mean, it's very tough to pull off a conspiracy. I can just tell you, every place I've been, things are so complicated. You can't, I mean, and look at, look at, let's go back to these hearings. It's very clear there wasn't a group of people in the White House orchestrating events. There was one person who called all the shots. That's it. And uh, it's, it's, it's hard to get people to agree on things. You know, that's that's one of the, the key differences. People have been trying to make comparisons between Trump and Nixon. Um, you know, the, the, the trappings cause people to do that, the hearings being televised and, you know, right. some of those things. But in in Nixon's case, he had a whole team of people, and, and a lot of them were acting independently, some as a group or a team, but not he was not directing every single thing and he didn't micromanage the way and i'm talking about nixon the way that donald trump does and so it was easy in some ways for people to forgive or let nixon off the hook for trying to cover things up um, because he may not have been exactly responsible for each and every action in this case it's really hard to let donald trump off the hook it's interesting yeah yeah um the yeah, same thing was true know, i was gonna say one other distinction i make with nixon of course is the fact that the re- his resignation came at the hand of republicans it was once republicans turned on him and said it's it's over mr president you know the next day or so he resigned so it's it's his own party that made the difference there and here you got his party for the most part standing behind trump yes but that was good in nixon's case uh, that uh, that it was the party that turned against him it shows no, no, that I democracy de- exactly. it shows that american democracy works yep no i agree yeah. with that. hey we got to take a short break we'll Everybody's be right back brand new dance now hi this is mark farner and you're listening to the tom sumner program 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, Attorney General stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So listen, we just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam. Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, Report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dina, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hi, this is Deb Cherry, Genesee County Treasurer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Radio Show. And welcome back, everybody. We continue Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Everson from Mississippi. And uh, welcome back, all. I mentioned uh, during the last segment that we had another uh, another quote that got my attention, uh, and it uh, goes like this. We express no opinion on whether Kelly engaged in insurrection or rebellion or whether Kelly is qualified to serve as a gubernatorial candidate as a result. Hmm. The senator uh, from Michigan. Like I said, the former said Michigan, the, the court of the Michigan Election Board or something. You got, that's it. You, it. you nailed it, Paul. It was the Michigan Court of Appeals in their uh, in their decision uh, on Thursday rejected a request to declare Republican gubernatorial candidate Ryan Kelly ineligible for the November general election as an insurrectionist. In an order, a uh, three-judge panel said any such request should have been made sooner and not this close to the August 2nd primary. Also, Kelly has been charged with misdemeanors in connection with his presence at the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol, but not convicted, the court noted, in an order signed by Judge Michael Godola. Aside from the fact that Kelly has, hasn't been convicted of anything, doesn't the disqualification from running for public office apply to felonies and not misdemeanors? I believe so. That's my understanding too. Or is yeah. this, or or is this, uh, is there a very separate um, uh, clause for insurrection? <laughs> uh, well, there is the uh, there is some <laughs> provision of that, but I, I think as far as Michigan law is concerned, I think it applies to felonies. Um, <clears throat> but there is there is a, a federal provision about insurrection about holding office. Uh, I'm not sure about running. I, I, I want to catch Mark up on this because he, yeah. he talked about, get, you know, learning things about what goes on in Michigan. And you've probably heard about the uh, the primary election for the, the GOP here in Michigan for governor. It, yeah, I was reading about it today. Like uh, every candidate was eliminated because the party of uh, the party of ballot integrity apparently doesn't doesn't apply to petitions i guess <laughs> well yeah what what happened what happened was um there were there were 10 candidates to begin with sounds like the beginning of an agatha christie novel but right um, but then five got knocked off the ballot for improper petition signatures Wow! Wow! That's just incredible to me. They had hired a company to do it, and they had done, you know, several things. Oh, it's all. It was all the same company that they were using. Is that the idea? It it sounds like it. I'm not entirely sure of that, Mark, but it sounds like it was. And there were anyway, there were all kinds of problems, and and five of the candidates were knocked out, including the two front runners. Yeah, and then of the remaining five, the next day's news was that one of them had been arrested for having been at the January sixth event at the Capitol. Right, and then his numbers shot up. <laughs> everybody and he heard became the name all of a sudden. he became the front runner. Yeah. 
And that's yeah, the no, guy yeah, we're talking these, about is uh, is Kelly, um, Ryan Kelly. Well, that, that's what the story I read this morning was saying that, uh, you know, the, the incumbent governor has had her problems, but it's look, beginning to look like a cakewalk. Uh, but, guys, the, the guys were knocked off the ballot for the right reason. There's a law that governs how we do things, a process, a practice. And any time that those are violated, they have to fall back on the law. And you can't go out and make rules as we go and decide some people have some uncertainty circumstances. Yeah, I, I, think, I think, Henry, the future candidates are going to learn to, to, to be very careful about who yeah. they hire to get their signatures. They should be. Well, there's, there's, a, so there's a, another thing that's that's yeah. a little more subtle, Paul. That 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 came out if you really listened between the lines to uh, uh, candidate Tudor Dixon um, in the interview that preceded Armchair Politics this morning, and that's from the recent debate they held where they all seemed at each other's throats. And what she said, yeah, I saw that debate. Yeah. What what she said that I thought was really interesting was that. All of the candidates, all of the uh, GOP candidates on the ballot, have pretty much the same views. <laughs> what made that yeah. interesting, interesting is that they're at each other's throats, but all about all these peripheral issues, and it's a real catfight. Oh, it really is. Yeah, I, I saw that debate, and they went they went after each other, blaming each other for being politicians, which is kind of a, <laughs> a strange phrase to be tossing around in that, in that context. And that goes back to what Mark said earlier about you know primaries being you know kind of kind of tough, you know, because the faithfuls are the ones involved, and it, it's become so competitive in the primary oh, yeah. process that you've got five people standing up there that basically agree that are fighting like cats and dogs. Yeah, and again, when you've got five candidates and a very small turnout, <clears throat> somebody can win this thing with 21% of the vote, theoretically, of uh, 21% of a very small fraction of the overall vote. Uh, so it's, it's uh, again, a small handful of voters can make a big difference about who gets the nomination. They don't do a runoff down up there uh, if somebody didn't get more than 50%? No. No. No, whoever is the top vote getter in the, in the, uh, in the primary um, yeah. goes on to, to become the candidate. To become the, yeah, the, the nominee. They really ought to change that because down here you've got to get 50%. For instance, I yeah, the fourth that's right. Yeah. In the fourth many circumstances that does happen. Uh, yeah. But in the primary, it's defined just as time as that. But in the, here, here's, the, here's the thing, Henry. Down here, the 4th Congressional District, we have a very uh, marginal congressman. He's in his sixth term, and he's under ethics investigation. And uh, not that that bothers people, but he's been totally ineffective. I didn't think it was like that in Mississippi, Mark. I thought that was, no, more, that was more Louisiana. <laughs> anyway... He, so he had uh, he had five or six challengers this cycle, and he ended up getting um, I guess it was thirty four thirty five percent in the primary, and then in the runoff, uh, the person who got twenty two percent or twenty five percent who was second crushed him, and uh, you know because 
every, what happened was you had a big split amongst all the challengers. And, mm -hmm. uh, but he was, the fact that he was an incumbent and got only a third of the vote, uh, that was saying a lot. So I just think somebody <laughs> ought to try to change that system because otherwise you end up with, with um, not with somebody who has the views of all the other candidates. You end up with somebody who's the only one who doesn't have those views. Now, yeah, we, have a before. we have a mayoral race going on Tuesday as well here in the city of Flint. And it's done differently because it's considered a nonpartisan uh, race. Um, it's the top two go on and challenge each other in right. November. So it doesn't matter how many candidates there are. Right. And there, there are three candidates running for mayor here in Flint. And, uh, as, as, as Tom said, the top two will go at it in November. Yeah, and it wouldn't matter but, if but, there were 15, and we've had that happen. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, and in many cases, uh, Mark, this is also true. The people who win the Democratic primary in Flint, Michigan, uh, they become the candidates. Right. Because they, the Republicans don't have office. Well, they, they win the seat. Yeah, they went. You know, yeah, in, in, in the city, that's true. Yeah, you get yeah. in the out county, though, it's a bit different. And that, and, uh, yeah, so that's a done deal. We got to kind of change that. As well, it is changing a little bit. It was. Yeah, uh, it, it is. It was. It was countywide and an absolute lock when uh, the UAW was still yes. operating at full force right. here. But, they crushed the Republicans. Yeah, easily. But now, particularly with the new district, it's the the Democrats are going to get the city of Flint easily. But by making the city of Flint a single district, that gives Republicans, frankly, a somewhat better chance in a lot yes, of the out county areas than they had yes, in previous years. Yeah, yeah. Now, that may have been a miscalculation on the part of the Democrats in terms of their overall strategy. It and did preserve the city of Flint's integrity, but it did hurt the overall Democrat strategy for the county. And the Republican Party chair, Matt, uh, uh, has said that he's going to leave no seat unchallenged. He's going to go after every seat, and the Republican will have a voice at the, well, at the voter box. And that's well, good in for the city of Flint. In northern Genesee County, they took away one Democratic seat last time around with Martin. <clears throat> that, that, uh, that, that's, that area has been Democratic for a long time, but all of a sudden now Republicans won that one. And in southern Genesee County, Republicans have been winning there in somewhat recent years as well. And then again, historically, if you go way back, that area too was solid Democratic. And and we at one time we had no Republican county commissioners. Nancy oh, yeah, Cadola became right. the first one. And that's then right. uh, now that's changing. I believe we have two. And uh, that will constantly change as Democratic changes come about. And we'll get more uh, solid democratic governance in the Genesee County. And that's what we need. We may yet have well, General Motors if we have that. I, I would just say this. It's always in the interest of the majority to have the minority represented in some fashion in the deliberations. Yes. Uh, the, the example, uh, my friend Rick Lazio, who was a congressman, he ran against Hillary Clinton for her senator in new york as as he pointed out you know you know the blue states are all still bellyaching about the cap on ten thousand dollar cap on deductions that was put in in the in 17 in the trump 
tax reform. And as Rick said, if there had been just one Republican senator in New Jersey, New York, Illinois, or California, that would not have happened. That's all it takes. But all those states, they, with the high-tax states, didn't have a single Republican senator to, to sort of weigh in and say, hey, don't do this. Mark, you know that that every vote matters uh, story was was told to me uh, by a friend of mine up in uh, northern Michigan, who really hated this guy that was running for the the state house seat up there, and he didn't vote, and the guy won by one vote. Right. <laughs> Yep. And boy, he grumbled about that forever. And this is a guy who never didn't vote. You know, I, in fact, he worked as a congressional aide in Washington. I, I mean, he was more active than most. And uh, he said, boy, if you ever need to be reassured. And we had one of those happen uh, with the Flint City Council, too, didn't we? Yeah. Uh, with that, uh, Vicki right. Van yeah, we've Buren. A, actually, we've had a couple in the area where, where a vote or a couple of votes have made the difference for some local mm-hmm. elections. Uh, in fact, I think there was one, maybe Henry, you can add, was, I think it was Cly, either Clio or Montrose mayor, was a tie vote, and they had to draw straws to decide, this goes back a few years, but they had to draw straws to uh, decide who the winner was. So they yeah, it must have been Montrose. It wasn't Clio. Okay, maybe, maybe Montrose. Yeah. Now, Henry would remember if it was Clio, I'm yeah. sure. I would think so, yes. Well, tempers flared at the Flint Board of Education meeting Wednesday night during a regular school board meeting on Ju- July 20th at the Accelerated Learning Academy. Board Vice President Carol McIntosh left in a storm of argument. Members of the board were <laughs> repeatedly cutting each other off and calling for, wait for it, point of order. <laughs> and point, Where have we heard that before? <laughs> and point of information, which is a, a privileged motion that that members use um, at Flint City Council. The board was discussing the hiring of a board consultant and other positions regarding the executive assistant position that has not been properly trained. Um, The former executive assistant retired after more than 20 years of service in the district. The board's succession plan for the position was not successfully executed. However, so board members spent the first couple hours of the board meeting asking about prior meeting minutes and other secretarial duties. Board (laughs) President Joyce Ellis McNeil said McIntosh was trying to tie this meeting up, leading to the argument before McIntosh left the meeting. Excuse me, ma'am, this is not the place for personal attacks, McIntosh said. Shortly after, McIntosh, McNeil, and board treasurer Laura McIntyre all began speaking loudly into the microphones, fighting for a chance to speak. Eventually, a Flint police officer walked with McIntosh out of the meeting. McNeil told M. Live, uh, the Flint Journal, in a phone interview that she gestured towards the Flint police officer to escort McIntosh out because McIntosh previously threatened McIntyre in a closed-door meeting. McIntosh denied making this threat in an email to the journal. She said it is a lie and a distraction. Will a consultant for the Board of Education have any more positive influence than the one brought in for the Flint City Council? Not for this board. 
I remain skeptical. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Like the, the, the school, school board's trying to outdo the Flint City Council, which is no and, small accomplishment. I mean, it's incredible. And guys, this is why I'm um, I'm against, and I always was against boards of education engaging in political activity. It is not for education. It's for political. How should domains. they? How should the board be? Uh, selected and made up henry what do you think would be a good way you've sat on uh, <clears throat> the clio school board for many many years how would you like to see that done well <clears throat> it's just that we we never engaged in political activity on the board the superintendent who sent out most of the information was was required never to use his position to leverage for a candidate of his choice, or what he saw perceived was good for the board. Let the public decide that, and we stay out of politics. We're there to uh, engage kids in the education process and protect their safety. All the other things belong to uh, other forms of government, but they don't belong to the school board. You, you know, Henry, the thing is, though, so much of this discord is not really political in the traditional sense. It's, these are personal attacks between individuals who've come to dislike each other for yeah. God knows what kind of reason. I'm <coughs> speaking both of the city council and the school board in this case. I mean, it's it's not, you know, the traditional partisan <coughs> politics. It's just two or three people who don't like each other and are willing to disrupt the meetings to, to show when it. When I was board president uh, for Clio Board of Education, I always uh, informed the board to be very careful about outbreaks between each other because yeah. you create discourse. And once it starts, people will run for the school board and ultimately um, replace you. But if you keep your board uh, stable, secure, and comfortable and still carry on the public's work, you will survive as long as you like. You do the people's work, but try. Yeah, that, to, that's one reason why school boards yeah. were meant to be nonpartisan. At least that's that was yeah. the hope. The hope was to avoid that. Kind yeah, of but see, discord. but see now the uh, the recruiting pool has been tainted because <laughs> everybody is learning their debate skills on social media. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah good point. And that's yeah. and that's why we're seeing this this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> introduction of points of order and, and points yeah. of information. <laughs> Protocol. Yeah. It, it, it yeah. sounds impressive, but that's all it is. It's, it's impressive. Uh, I, I think that every, everything you guys have said is true, but w what happens is uh, the superintendent and the people who are doing the work, they work for the school board, whereas sometimes the school board thinks it's a separate branch like the Congress is versus the executive. That's not it. They're supposed to be supporting the superintendent, holding the superintendent accountable, but working with that person. So it's yeah. a, I, I think it's evolved uh, in a way that, 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 that the structures aren't working correctly. And, and I'm not commenting on any one particular place, but just no, no, I think I'm you're, I, I think you're right. Um, uh, and and uh, uh, Henry is is saying sort of the same thing, but coming at it from the inside. Um, it's the school board is running the school district, and it As hires the people wanted it to, and it hires a staff to do that. Right from yes. the superintendent on down. Right, 
And the superintendent is the eighth person on our board. And I That's think how we characterize it. And and Mark, I think you make a a great point about how yeah. some of these uh, boards and committees start to think of themselves as a branch of government or that organization. Interesting. Yeah, you can undercut. If you undercut the superintendent, it, it, it goes nowhere fast because you can't get, you know, you're not going to get good people. That's what we were saying before, good people to serve in these. These are tough jobs. Being a school administrator is a tough job. Yes, it is. Yeah. So that's a good point. In fact, I think when you, when you see the turmoil like both the city council and the school board, that discourages good people from running. I mean, if you are interested in, in government and politics and civic affairs, and you look at that turmoil, you're going to decide, why do I need to walk into that kind of mess? And I've, I've, I've heard from people who otherwise might have run for city council who said, no, I just don't want to get involved in that kind of stuff and you know, waste my time with that kind of, those kind of meetings. Yeah, and the, well, the thing about... No, go ahead. Well, I, I just want to point out that Clio School District has been stable and secure for many years, and that's because we work well with our superintendent. And the public. Right. We have public hearings. Right. The I way think your, your influence, Henry, had, had, had to have some real effect. I yeah. give you credit. I hope so. Well, and uh, the other thing I would say about this dynamic is, you know, I have experience in Washington and at the state level in Indiana, a little bit down here on some local issues. But the, the problem with the local stuff is uh, – you're supposed to be available 24-7. And, you know, it's a little harder to reach your senator or your congressman. There's a, they're, they, they, okay, they're in the public eye, but they do have some space. But when you're a local guy and you're in the hardware store, people are jumping you. And, you know, <laughs> totally, you, you never get away from it. You never get away yeah. from it. And it's very contentious 24 hours a day once you get into that bad place, if you do. But you have to wear a hoodie. <laughs> well, you know, when uh, Eric Mays was on my show last week, and uh, because he's on the ballot for mayor, and um, and he gave out his phone number. Yeah. Well, no, now, you would never see a, a congressman or a senator or, uh, you know, a, a governor or, do that. Even even members of the state legislature, that would be rare. Well, it's yeah. interesting. I uh, when I was running the IRS, which you know is not a popular agency, <laughs> I I had a publicly listed number, and I would get calls from taxpayers. Yes. and I I had taxpayers show up at the door, and uh, you know it's oh. <laughs> it, it can be uncomfortable, but <laughs> that can be kind of scary these days, especially. Yes. Yeah, I think I think that's right. It wouldn't people do it differently now. Yeah, yeah. I would think. Anyway, we have to take a uh, another break, but um, we've got lots more armchair politics with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and uh, Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Everson, and um, we're going to let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are WFOVLP, our voices radio, 92.1 FM in Flint. And if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And don't forget, you can always check out um, past episodes of Armchair Politics or past interviews on our website. We'll be right back. 
Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Imagine a journey down a picturesque river. Imagine your Flint River, 142 miles of recreation, natural beauty, and precious resources. The Flint River is a vital resource that is available for all to use and enjoy. The river and its ecosystem provide unlimited recreational opportunities and natural beauty while supporting wildlife in a vibrant landscape. We all have a responsibility to protect and preserve this precious resource. Learn more at FlintRiver.org or call the Flint River Watershed Coalition at 810-767-6490. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. Cloth or disposable? Paint or wallpaper? Yellow or green? Babies come with lots of decisions. Crib or bassinet? Rocker or glider? So when it comes to protection against diseases, go with the safest, most effective choice. Vaccination. To protect your child against 14 serious childhood diseases like measles, meningitis, and whooping cough. That's why nearly all parents choose it. Stroller or carriage, basketball, or soccer. So get all the recommended vaccinations for your baby by age two. For more reasons to vaccinate, talk to your child's doctor. Go to cdc.gov vaccines or call 800-CDC-INFO. Justin or Justine. Immunizations help give you the power to protect your baby. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Hey, why are we stopping? We're going to be late for the show. Mom, Dad, we got to get gas. Not here, you're not. This place is charging an arm and a leg. Look, these days, price swings of 30 or 40 cents per gallon aren't unusual. But when a gas station charges a price way above the price at similar stations, that could be gas gouging. Michigan gas stations sell the correct quality and quantity of gas most of the time. But when a station does try to illegally take advantage of drivers, my office is here to stop them. Stop Attorney General and we got a concert to get to! I hope she doesn't sit next to us. Narc. This is Attorney General Dana Nussel. 
If you have information about potential gas gouging, call my office or go online at michigan.gov slash AG. Put those away. We're at a gas station. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back as we continue with today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Everson. Uh, back to the Flint Community Schools. Um, masks will not be required in Flint Community School buildings on the first day of school in August, but instead recommended the first day of school in the Flint Public School District comes next week with a half day on Wednesday, August 3rd, the district uses a balanced calendar that minimizes learning loss by cutting time out of summer for intercessions during the school year. To make sure our students start off on the right track, it is critical that they attend school all day, every day, especially the first day of the school year, Superintendent Kevlin Jones said in a letter to parents. Flint kept a mask policy throughout the entire 21-22 school year, bucking the trend of many Genesee County districts that ditched its mandatory mask policy after the health department allowed. The district has a medical team that monitors COVID-19 case rates and makes recommendations to uh, the administration. District buildings will still have hand sanitizer uh, stations and thorough surface cleanings, Jones said. Is recommending mask usage sufficient? Well, what we found out and what we know now, yeah, I think so. If the law has changed and allows it, that means that the danger is not as imminent as we originally thought it was. And the businesses are comfortable with it. They're going back to work and stuff like that. Sure, we had the problem with the monkeypox, but but we know little about that and how it affects that. And I think that people use COVID as an excuse for not doing something, particularly kids not studying or going to school. And they, like in in some school systems, kids fall behind. Once they fall behind, they never catch up. And I think this is a way to help improve that process. But it is a confusing time about trying to decide whether or not to wear a mask. I mean, for the longest time, I I did so automatically. But now, when I go into a store or go elsewhere, I'm not sure if I should put it on or not. It's uh, some people do, some people don't. It, it's, it's confusing. Well, and, to make, and to make matters even worse on the confusion front, the Flint Community Schools let out a, uh, a, a memo or, or an announcement of some sort um, that they were going to be mandated, and it was in error. It was a boo-boo. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, yeah, uh, and besides, guys, all diseases have to be communicable diseases over time. We must all be tainted with it in order to survive. You know, COVID is everywhere. We breathe it all the time. I, I have to share this one thing. It just came across recently. Uh, one of Sandy's uh, grandchildren calls hand sanitizers hanitizers. Hanitizers. <laughs> oh, I like that. 
<laughs> well, one of the smallest townships in Genesee County has one of the biggest political problems in Michigan. Not only has every <laughs> member of the Thetford Township Board of Trustees oh. been targeted for recall, but two members of the board filed the proposed language needed to start the recall drives. <laughs> Do stories Not in my county. Not in my, <laughs> not in my school district. And do stories like this is the Thetford Township Board of Trustees? <laughs> do stories like these make it seem as though none of the area boards are functional? It, it sure <laughs> does. It really does. I when I saw that story, I was saying, "Where's David Davenport? We need him." He, remember, he was the guy in the school board. He was recalling everybody in the county for a while, <laughs> and, he, oh. and he's still running for office again. I see. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw the story on Thetford Township, and it's just a, it's one I think one of probably the most rural or one of the most rural townships in Genesee County. Yes, it is. So it's, uh, but everybody's recalling everybody. Yeah. Well, you know they had some difficulty a couple of years ago, and they're trying to work out of that. With those military issues, is that what you're talking about, Henry? Yes, well, they, they were getting military yeah. equipment for. Yeah, and, and, and that's likely to be a problem for a while until some of the people die off or move well, away yeah. and get defeated. At least the, the, the stories, maybe you can add more detail, Henriette, but the stories where they were getting military equipment and farmers yes. using some of that stuff to yes. plow their fields or do other work around the farm. Yes, <laughs> and, and that was obviously uh, not protocol in right, any government. You can't right. use public money for your own enterprise. And everybody knows that. And you're culpable and you are responsible when you do that. So if you get caught, you got to move on. Yeah. Well, we're going to circle back and talk about something we got into a little bit earlier, and, and partly because I had my, my uh, interview with uh, Tudor Dixon, GOP candidate for governor this, uh, this morning in the early part of the show, um, and, and this, uh, this event came up. Four of the five Republican candidates for governor sharpened their attacks on one another during a one-hour debate at Oakland University Wednesday night with less than two weeks to go before the August 2nd primary. Ottawa County real estate broker Ryan Kelly went after Oakland County businessman uh, Kevin Rinke over decades-old lawsuits in which employees of Rinke's former car dealerships alleged he was a sexual harasser who made racist remarks. Got, oh, he got in a twofer there. Um, and uh, Kalamazoo chiropractor Carrot Saldano, along with Rinky, went after Norton Shore's businesswoman and former conservative TV commentator Tudor Dixon over her ties to the Michigan establishment and the billionaire DeVos family of West Michigan major funders of the state's conservative causes. Dixon fired back, noting that both Rinky and Soldano attended a meeting she also attended, at which she said they sought endorsements from Betsy DeVos, who served as <laughs> education secretary <laughs> under former President Donald Trump, and her husband Dick DeVos, who was the Republican candidate for Michigan governor in 2006. The fifth candidate, retired Pastor Ralph Reband of uh, Farmington Hills, sought to portray himself as a peacemaker and unifier. The, <laughs> the infighting among the other candidates shows why I need to be Governor Reban said. <laughs> as, 
as as a pastor, he said he has dealt with situations like this where people are at each other's throats, adding that one of his goals is party unity. Um, <laughs> is electing clerics a path to greater unity in government? I'm not, <laughs> not so sure about that. I, uh, you have to go back to the Roman, Holy Roman Empire <laughs> and find out how uh, well, members of the clergy uh, really killed a lot of people. <laughs> as, I, as I saw that debate, I was thinking that uh, Governor Whitmer must be saying, you know, you guys keep fighting, I'll hold your coat. <laughs> she was watching yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, there's a serious question in there, I know. And um, I do believe in the separation of church and state. I, I, I believe the country a, has a uh, Judeo-Christian heritage, but that it's accepting and non-discriminatory in terms of other yeah. other religions. But I, I I do have to say I'm troubled by the the efforts to undercut that separation. And part of that is yeah, if if pastors are going to be running for office and uh, uh, basically enlisting their flock, uh, it starts to get you to a point where the politicians and the the politics is going to pollute. Our Sundays, and it's just, it just, yeah, it's just yeah. going to give me awful. I think. Yeah. True. Yeah. Well, and and there's an element of a person's religious affiliation and and subsequent faith that prevents them from being able to go back and forth on on issues as information becomes available. They tend to be more stuck in a particular... Oh, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. You know, Kennedy Kennedy said, because there was a lot of uh, angst about him as a Roman Catholic. Oh, of course. He said, said, look, if it comes down to a secular, an issue, a government issue, I'm going to do what I think is right even though I may disagree from a religious point of view, I, I, I think you can't have that going in proposition, but I do think you, it, it's, it's more where the actual politicking takes place, and that's what I'm talking about, not the decision. Yeah. Well, what and I was concerned about... Some of the nastiest wars have been those religious wars where two, two groups went at each other because of their different religious views. That's what, I, that's what I was trying to get to, and I, I, I just okay. muffed it up. Um, and, and thanks, Mark, for you know, drawing, that, uh, drawing that out and, and Paul for making that observation because that's what I was really trying to get at is when you get these... Um, factions going on between religions they tend to be you know very very stuck in their yeah, uh, yeah. support that is true i agree with that and and that's what i was getting at and if if we start allowing that to be part of what drives governance in this country it's it's kind of scary yeah yeah well, you know, you see, saw, you see them seeing that in the Middle East now between the Shias and the Sunnis. You saw that in Europe with the Catholics and Protestants, and you know, 400 years ago, with a whole series of wars over those kind of issues. So, it, again, many times they are the most most uh, bloodiest of wars around, where you've got these two groups, often within a religion, going at each other. 
Well, hey, we got to stop there and uh, break for top of the hour show ID, but we will return with uh, our uh, this week's edition of Armchair Politics with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Mark Everson. And uh, I hope you'll uh, stay tuned for the second half of today's edition of Armchair Politics. There's still uh, a lot more interesting stuff to talk about. Well, there always is. We'll be back with more right after this. Hi, I'm Alexander Zanjic. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. Tom Sumner. 